Today's Bible reading is from Romans chapter 1 verses 1 to 7. Romans chapter 1 verses 1 to 7. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his human nature, was a descendant of David, and who, through the spirit of holiness, was declared with, the, with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his namesake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all in Rome who are allowed by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to Grace International, especially if this is your first time or you're visiting with us. Um, a very warm welcome. My name is Andis, uh, and I'm the pastor here. And also a very warm welcome to those um, birds that have flown back um, to, to Riga. You know, in autumn, normally, some of the birds fly away to the kind of warmer lands, but we are blessed that um, our student birds are flying back to Riga with us. So it's great to see you, uh, a number of you already back. Um, so please keep Romans 1, chapter 1 open. We will uh, look at the first verses, but as I promised, um, uh, this is a new series. And, and as I promised already in a written form yesterday, I will give you um, in the introduction, a sort of bird's eye view of the Romans. Because it's such a big, it's such a big and such a dense book that sometimes if you start with the kind of little trees, you sort of don't understand what the, all, what the whole wood of, of Romans is actually about. So my hope in these first, what, 10 minutes or so, is to do just, just that. So thanks, Andres, for setting us up. And thanks, Nisi, also for reading for us. So um, let, me be, let me begin just by sort of setting up uh, the series because it, it definitely, it feels like, so if you've read Romans with Andres on Wednesday, it kind of feels like something truly grand. You know, 70 minutes reading Romans. Um, it feels grand. It feels like starting to work on your PhD thesis, right? Some of you guys know very well what it is. is. Is there anyone doing sort of PhD at the moment or have done it? Um, yeah, Nisi, Nisi, yeah, that's why. You're probably the only one who's like, yeah, Romans, Romans. <laughs> Great. So ask Nisi what it means sort of to just start working on the PhD thesis. A friend of mine who did PhD in anthropology in Cambridge said to me, it all depends on the bar you set for yourself. If you hope to exhaust the subject you are writing about, you will not enjoy it, you will burn out, and you will die. And so I imagined I hear this kind of Liam Neeson voice, you know, from Taken, 
you will die. <laughs> that kind of, um, um, and it would be, guys, it would be a shame, right, if that happened to us somewhere halfway through the book around Christmas, which is supposed to be an enjoyable time, that we would find ourselves exhausted in romance and close to death. Well, it is such a multi-layer steak sandwich, right? So as we attempt to feed on it together, my goal is that we would really enjoy it. And that instead of burning out and dying, we would be rekindled with life that Romans promises us. This is what the great reformers, uh, Martin Luther and Jean Calvin, have said about Romans. Here's the quote from Luther. This epistle or letter is really the chief part of the New Testament and is truly the purest gospel. It is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word by word by heart, but also that, the, the, uh, that he should occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. Beautiful. And here, um, the quote from Jean Calvin, if we have gained a true understanding of the epistle, we have an open door to all the most profound treasures of scriptures. So instead of being, it being an academic exercise, you know, kind of following through Paul's argument, let us therefore make sure we treasure Romans as the word of God and as the food for our Christian lives daily. But what is Romans about? What is Romans about? So I want to suggest that we think of Romans as Paul's PhD thesis, his life's work. PhD thesis is something that you defend, right? So what is Paul defending here in the book of Romans? And my suggestion is that Romans is the defense of Paul's mission to the nations. Hear it again, I think Romans is Paul's defense of his mission to the nations. Paul is about to finish his third missionary journey, which has been all about bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, that is non-Jewish people. And here is how Paul sums it up toward the end of his letter, and I would like you to actually turn to it. Flick with me to Romans chapter 15, because it's a um, sort of 15 to 19, a bit lengthy uh, passage, but here is Paul's summary. Romans chapter 15, verse 15 to 19. Let's read. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly, by way of reminder, because of the grace given by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. 
In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So you see, Paul thinks he has fulfilled his ministry in the Mediterranean. He has made Jesus known in all those big cities in Asia Minor. So now he is looking west. Paul wants to go to Spain, chapter 15, verse 28. But before he does that, he's reaching out to this church at the heart of the empire. And he knows that he needs to succeed with them too. Before he heads west, he needs to succeed with the church in Rome. So again, by way of the big picture, in chapters 1 to 8, in the first half of Romans, Paul argues what his mission to the nations achieves for the nations. He defends his PhD thesis before the Jews. Look at chapter 3, verse 9. He speaks to Jews, 3, verse 9. What then, Paul says, are we Jews any better off? Now, we have to know that Jews are not at all happy with Paul at this stage. They think he has betrayed his Jewish religion and heritage by going to the Gentiles. And so Paul argues that the Gentile inclusion is part of God's great salvation plan. So very, very simplified first half of Romans 1 to 8. But in chapters 9 to um, um, so to the end, however, Paul argues what his mission to the nations achieves for the Jews. He defends his PhD thesis now before the Gentiles. Look at, for example, chapter 11, verse 13. 11, verse 13, Paul says, Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. You see? At some point, the Gentile Christians may start to think that they are better than Jews. So Paul says in 11.20, do not become proud, but fear. He argues that his mission, Paul's mission to the nations, is somehow for the Jews and their salvation too. And that's the beauty of the book of Romans. Now, what would you say? What would you say has Paul's mission to the nations? Has it been success? What, what would you say? Well, you don't have to say a lot. Just look around. Just look around at each other or front and back. Look around at each other. Guys and girls, we are a living proof of the success of Paul's mission to the nations. We are Paul's answered prayer 
down the centuries. Again, turn to chapter 15 with me and see that prayer that is answered. Chapter 15, verse 5 and 6. You see how Paul prays. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with each other. Of course, in the context is Jews and Gentile being now Christian. In accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here we are in Riga from Indonesia and Australia through to the United States and Brazil and everything in the middle, living in harmony and in one voice, glorifying God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a success? Now, at this point, however, I will stop looking at the big picture of Romans. I will probably resume some of the big picture stuff next week, but at this point I will stop with the big picture. I hope it will help you to continue thinking about the Romans in a kind of more focused way. Again, Romans is Paul's defense of his mission to the nations and what it achieves both for the Gentiles and for the Jewish people. But what is at the heart of the success of Paul's mission to the nations? And that takes us back to Romans 1 and our passage. Ready? At the heart of Paul's ministry, and indeed life, look at Romans 1 verse 1, is the gospel of God. Concerning verse 4, Jesus Christ our Lord. At the heart of the success of Paul is the gospel of God concerning Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, so first thing this morning, the gospel, the gospel is from God and about God. You will, you will know the gospel means good news, indeed great news of victory. Now, now, one of our greatest mistakes sometimes is to make the gospel and to place ourselves at the heart of the gospel we preach. It, it goes something like this. Maybe you've heard a similar testimony. You know, I lived a sinful life. I was a party hard, drinking hard, sex addict, and then I met Jesus, and then I got saved. Now I am a transformed person. I don't smoke, I don't drink, and I don't sleep around anymore. Do you hear how many times I is um, there? In other words, so often, so often people make the gospel about me, about us. Now hear me right, the gospel really transforms. We will think about it more in chapter 6 to 8. But according to Paul, our transformation is not at the heart of the gospel. So in verses 1 to 5 in our passage, Paul gives a brief but dense description of the gospel he is proclaiming. 
We have to start with the gospel because Paul starts with the gospel because it is at the heart of his ministry. So the gospel, firstly, is from God, verse 1. Look at verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The source of the good news is not humanity. It's not even Paul. No, the gospel flows out from God. And it is verse 2. It's about God. Or before verse 2, the gospel is about God's character and actions towards his people. We will see in Romans how instead of punishment and destruction, God brings forgiveness and salvation. The gospel is about God. Now, verse 2, the gospel is not something new. See verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The gospel, Paul says, is God's eternal plan. Revealed to his people hundreds of years previously in the Old Testament. As we will see throughout the history, God has been working to fulfill his plan. There is only one plan. Only one plan. So, so the gospel is about God. It is from God. But the gospel is also about Jesus and for Jesus. So secondly, the gospel is about Jesus and for Jesus. Verse 3, it is concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Here it is. The fullness of Christ's identity. Paul describes Jesus here to us from two points of view. In earthly, in earthly terms, Jesus was a descendant of David. Well, that fact alone caused many to suspect Jesus to be the promised Messiah, which God promised to David. If you have quick fingers, 2 Samuel chapter 7 would be a great, great place to, uh, to see that. 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 12, 12 and 13 is the place where King David receives this wonderful, wonderful promise that Paul is talking about here. Here. Here God speak to King David. Verse 12. Chapter 7, verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your, your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So on the one hand, Paul says Jesus is a man, the descendant of the royal line of the King David. But who is the one who can reign forever? 
Who is the man who can reign forever? Only the one who conquers death. Only that person can reign forever. So Paul says in the spiritual realm, Jesus has been declared to be the power in the power, the powerful son of God. How? By means of his resurrection from the dead. Now look at how Paul finishes in verse 4 of Romans chapter 1. The gospel of God is about Jesus the man, descendant of David, who is Christ, the promised Messiah, our Lord, the supreme ruler in the universe. So guys, these are very dense, very big terms, very big ideas. So I feel that we really should pause and draw some of the, some of the implications from that so that we don't rush through. The gospel message is God-centered. Let, let us remember as we, as we continue in Romans in, in next, in this year really, let us remember the gospel message is God-centered. It comes from Him. Now, what it means, it means that we are not free to change it. Think about it. Our only task is to pass it on faithfully. Think how encouraging it is as we start this new semester in Riga, either as students or, or workers here that we don't need to invent a new message for our new friends or, or new work colleagues. We simply have to remain faithful to Paul's gospel as outlined here in this book and in this passage. Why? Because the gospel is from God. It's not changing, God is not changing. Also, we can leave God responsible for it. If people get offended by the gospel, you know, they might take it out on us at some point. But ultimately, their problem is with God, not with us, because it's not our gospel. They should take it up with God, because the gospel comes from God. It's so relieving. It, but it cannot get bigger, right? The gospel is from God about God. But nor should it get smaller than that. Because the gospel is about God. Think how it changes the way we proclaim the gospel. We often want to relate to people, right? And it's good. You know, we want to relate to them in their various life situations. But we should guard against slipping into man-centered gospel message. For example, you know, that there is something missing in their lives. You know, a God-shaped hole that only God can fill. I mean, it sounds relatable, right? It sounds appealing, a God-shaped hole in your life that he needs to fulfill, but do you hear again, it's not really the gospel of God about God. It's about 
me again, about my needs, about my felt needs and my fulfillment. So we have to conclude if we want to see God powerfully work in this city, in this world, we better proclaim his message. Someone has said powerful evangelism is the business of telling his gospel. And his gospel is about his son, not about us. Friends, equally at the center of the father's gospel is his son. The gospel message is about Jesus, the promised Messiah and Lord of all. It is possible to proclaim the gospel and not mention Jesus. Do you imagine that? We think, of course, it's not impossible, but it is. You know, it's not hard to talk about Christianity in general terms. Believe me, when I talk to people about what I do, it is very easy for me to talk about this wonderful, wonderful group of people. You know, this international crowd in Riga, this community of believers who love to be together, who love to encourage one another in their faith. I can talk about that for hours and not mention Jesus once. You know how easy it is to talk about things just horizontally. But something else is to be specific. You know, that is faith, that this faith that we share together is really about the risen King and Lord Jesus, who is the supreme ruler of every nation and the whole universe. Why is this so challenging? Why is talking specifically about Jesus the king, the risen king and lord, so challenging. You see, because the gospel always demands the response of faith. It's not just information. This is how Paul views his own ministry. I deliberately skipped Paul and left him kind of in a second place, although he starts this book with Paul, <laughs> you know. Look, look at verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, you know, about his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 5, through whom we, Paul and other, you know, the, the band of the apostles, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Why was the gospel at the heart of, you know, why was the gospel proclamation challenging for Paul? Why? Because it requires response. It is an absolute submission to Jesus as the Lord of our lives. Look again, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among, among all the nations. It requires the response. And we see Paul didn't shy away from speaking clearly and plainly, and nor should we. Indeed, Paul couldn't. He couldn't shy away because the risen Lord Jesus 
made him his servant and set him apart to be his messenger. The apostle means the messenger. The risen Lord and King Jesus commissioned Paul. Well, more about that in next week. But how often, how often at the heart of Christian evangelism is personal gain, right? Rather than the glory of Jesus' name. To bring about the obedience of faith, verse 5, for the sake of his name among all the nations. How often we present the gospel as something to be gained, first of all, rather than about Jesus. I remember how a famous pastor in Latvia once um, did evangelism. In my early month of my Christian faith, I heard it. it. It sounded very clever to me at that time. His punchline was like this. Here's a quote. If I live my whole life according to the Bible, and at the end it proves lies, not true, I have still lived a good life. I have lost nothing. And here's the turning point. But if you, you, live this life as you like, and at the end the Bible proves true, you have lost everything. Now, I mean, there is, there is truth in it, right? There, and it's a clever and clever rhetoric in which to present it. But, but it's all about my gain and what I gain and, or what I lose. You see? Instead of it being about Jesus, the risen King and Lord of all, who demands an absolute submission of the whole of life to him. Two very different things, my friends. Personally, I, I try to remind myself about these things every time I meet with my non-Christian friend from 25 years. So I stumbled, um, uh, so we just stumbled in each other um, on the 1st of September. We um, were going with the family to a cafe, and it happened to be the big screen of uh, Spain versus Latvia basketball. Another reason to be proud of Latvia in these months. You know, Latvia beat Spain in basketball. And, and so here, here he was, and we realized, you know, we haven't caught up for the whole of summer. And so we decided to catch up that evening. And when we do, we talk for two hours. We talk for two hours about how we are doing, but also we talk every time about faith. Um, and so my, my, my friend, uh, he has dealt with some really painful stuff in his, stuff in his life. He um, has gone through the divorce three or four years ago, um, and, and it, it's really painful. And so I'm very attentive to how I talk to him. But he, and he has done some really tremendous work in his life, but he has chosen to do it with the help of Carl Jung, not Jesus Christ. You know, you know, Carl Jung is the father of analytical psychology, and he's kind of the, the guru. And he, so he brought a number of books with him to show some of the wonders um, that he discovered there. 
But me, I sit there and I listen, and I make sure that every time I talk to him, I go to Jesus. I mention Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. Why? Because no matter how um, how I empathize and sympathize with the problems of my friend, I know that there is going to be ultimately nothing else that will sort out his life but the Lord and risen King Jesus and his submission of all his life under him and under his rule. And he doesn't hear me yet. He doesn't hear me yet, I know. But every time I say, but consider Jesus. You're talking about all these religions and what they share together, what they have similar. Now, how it's a big mountain with a thousand of, of pathways to the same place, but it's not. Consider Jesus and his resurrection. If he has risen from the dead, and he's the only one who's done it, you better listen to him. You better submit to him. Now, friends, as we close, my prayer for us this semester is that we would grow. We would grow together in our knowledge and understanding of the gospel so that we would make Jesus known to people around us so that your conversations with your university or dorm mates or friends or work colleagues would be bold and clear and straight and faithful that we together would be able to make Jesus known in Riga this semester more faithfully. So in summary, in summary, as we consider this semester, Paul's PhD thesis, you know, the defense of his mission to the nations, we would remember this one thing, one thing at the heart of it is the gospel from God about Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then look at verse six, seven, and eight. Together with the church at Rome, we will know that we belong to Jesus Christ. Verse seven, that we are loved by God and called to be his people. And that therefore, verse eight, we are the recipients of his grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's pause here. Let's ponder a bit as we pray. And we'll resume next week. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this brand new day of your grace this new phase of studies, ministry, work. And we are just so thankful, Heavenly Father, that we can start it together in this wonderful book, the letter of two Romans. Father, we, we uh, give thanks to you that at the heart of everything that you do is your gospel, your good news, your great news 
that comes from you. It is about you and your risen King and Lord of all, Jesus Christ. Father, we do ask you forgiveness that sometimes we have made the gospel about us, about our needs, about our gain in this world, about this world. Whereas, Father, you remind us so gently and kindly that the gospel that powerfully changes people, that powerfully changes this world, is about you and your son, Jesus Christ, and what he has achieved on our behalf. And so, Father, we ask that we would grow in knowledge, in the knowledge and understanding of it. We would get to know you better so that we would be able to make you known to our friends this year in Riga. We ask all these things. We ask for your help about all these things in the name of your precious Son, our King and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.